This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. I greet all of you. If you're guests, we're honored to have you with us. You need a Bible once you get your hand up. I'm going to get the Word of God in your hand, and then we will start in the book of Luke chapter 9, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians 6 in that order. Luke 9 and then 1 Corinthians 6. Again, I'll give you a little time to get your Bible open there. You know, I've seen some statistics in the last week that were very troubling. It says that 80% of all converts will go back into the world. So 8 out of every 10 people that give their heart to Jesus ultimately go back into the world. And so you have to ask yourself this, what what's then is the issue? What, what are we not doing to help retain them? And I, I believe probably one of the greatest things is people get born again and give their life to Jesus, but we don't tell them about the Holy Spirit. And so without the Holy Spirit, you are unable to fulfill what God has to do for your life and to help you. You know, that's one of the definitions the Lord said about the Holy Spirit. He would be a helper. So oftentimes we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but today we're going to give you some insight on some things that pertain to the Holy Spirit. And the reason we all need him. So we begin today in the book of Luke chapter 9, verse number 23. And just for you back here in the sound booth, I'm just going to read that one verse, Luke 9, verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, every one of them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. The New Living Translation here says he wants to be my follower But you must turn from your selfish ways. He goes on to give us further insight. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now this becomes very clear but also challenging what a Christian's life is to look like. And if you see what he says there, he says take up his cross daily. Not just on Sundays. But day after day after day after day, and, and ultimately he ends with the thought of, and follow me. And so oftentimes when we get born again and we see these words about deny ourselves and follow him on a daily basis, people have the thought, well, I don't want that much of Jesus. I just, I just want a little bit of Jesus. I just want fire insurance. To make sure I'm not going to go to hell. But as far as denying myself and taking up the cross and following him on a daily basis, I don't want to do that. And oftentimes when we see the statement there, take up his cross and follow him, we kind of view that in the American society as, well, you know, I'm, I'm going through some difficulties. I got bills to pay. I got decisions to make. Uh, I got to bury my dog. I got to sell my car. Here's one of the great, great phrases for us in American society as far as taking up his cross and following him is, Lord, you got to help me in this traffic jam today at 5 o'clock. And so I say that jokingly in those areas, but when we see what Jesus said right here, take up his cross and follow him on a daily basis, his disciples knew precisely what he meant. These were the very men that they witnessed his crucifixion. So when he said, take up his cross and follow him daily, 
they knew in Jesus' life that meant a commitment and that meant a sacrifice. And so was this what the Lord was telling us? Daily, day after day after day after day. And I believe he's telling us this, this is progressive. This is something that never ends. That we've got to make a decision to say, you know what, Lord? Grace me in this area. Help me. That I, I, want, to, I want to believe and be a part of the, the participation. My role to play in this. Now, I'm going to have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And as you're turning there, in your own personal life, if God was to take the Holy Spirit out of your life, would you even notice? Would your life even be any different? Now, I'm, I'm going to change gears here a little bit on the Holy Spirit today because the church has done a horrible job of telling believers about the power of the Holy Spirit. To a degree that we've underestimated what God said. Now, as you're turning here, I, I'm going to ask you to take off your religious glasses, the doctrines that were man-made doctrines, and allow the Bible to teach you today what the Word of God said, okay? Now, every one of us in this room, we have things that influence on a daily basis, things that influence the way we think, the way we dress, and even the way we act. But I'm going to tell you right now, past this point right now, past today, you get the ability to choose to say, okay, Lord, this is what I want to, to influence my life. And I believe after this morning, with many of us in here, you're going to say, I need more of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cares more about how you live than how long you live. And so he wants to make a mark on us today. We begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at one of his readings here, or his writings, and then again one in Ephesians. Begin in verse 12. All things are lawful or permittable for me, but not all things are helpful or good. In other words, just because I can do something doesn't mean it's good. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. The New Living says, I must not become a slave to anything. Now this letter was written to the believers at the church at Corinth. And evidently here, these people at this church had this thought that, you know what, I, I can live however I want. I can, I can do whatever that I want. And understand this, there are some things that aren't sinful, but they're just not good for me. Because when I overdose on anything, it begins to dominate me. And when it begins to dominate me, it takes the place that God was supposed to be in my life. So ultimately, we can take something that's good, meaningful, and make it our God is what he's telling us here. Now, watch what he goes on to say. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods. Now, let me ask you something. Is there anything wrong with food? No. I got to eat. But food becomes a problem when I become dominated. And now I serve the God of my stomach. He goes on and says, next. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, 
but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, it's interesting that Paul gets over and starts talking about this right here, that he, he mentions sexual immorality. Now, in our society, in our lives, I think we'd all agree with this, that it, it doesn't matter where you go, sex is before us. I mean, I, I look at how uh, football has even transpired. That you go to watch the Cowboys, that the highlight of the game isn't the Cowboys anymore, it's the cheerleaders. And you think, well, what did that have to do with the game? And then when we watch movies, TVs, commercials, it's, it's always before us. And so the reason I highlight what he talks about here is if I'm not careful, I become callous to this. I become almost to the place where this is normal, this is how it should be. Even though I, I don't believe this is how it should be. And so some areas of our life that we must understand even in this is in my own life when I was a young man, I never thought that first small drink of alcohol would ultimately lead where it led. It's the same area in this, whether it's food or sexual immorality. It's these little things that we take and, and we begin to live for them instead of for God. Now, here's a little thing that I believe will help you in, in as far as sexual immorality, whether it's on TV or going to the movies. Next time you're going to watch something on TV or go to the movies, why don't you invite Jesus to go with you? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, you might have to lean over and nudge Jesus and say, hey, Lord Jesus, you may want to cover your eyes. This isn't a very good scene. Hey, Lord Jesus, it's just a movie. It's okay. It's just a movie. See, again, if we're not careful, we begin to allow our society and the things of our society to shape us. And it's interesting to me, almost every one of Paul's writings in the epistles, 1 Corinthians all the way through the Timothys, he will mention sexual sin. So he goes on to say this in verse 14. And God both raised up the Lord and will raise us up. How? Look what he says. By his power. Now if you'll note in that and you want to take really good notes, on that verse right there, it says God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And when he references power, anytime you see power in the New Testament, that's pertaining to the Holy Spirit. The, the spiritual or the scriptural reference on that is Acts 1.8 where he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. So the same power that raised Christ from the dead, God wants him to dwell in you. God wants him to help you. Now it's interesting to me how he puts this right in the middle of this. So to the degree, you know what I think he's telling us? He's saying, listen, if you'll get full of the same power that raised Christ from the dead, he'll begin to work on the inside of you. Now you may not know this, but when Jesus walked on this earth, he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you know that? Acts 10 verse 38, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. If you reference Jesus when he was on the earth, he was called the Son of Man. So our Lord and Savior Jesus, for him to do what he was called to do here on the earth, 
he had to have the Holy Spirit. Could that be the thing in your life, in my life, that's missing? Now watch what he goes on to say. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and then make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. One translation says, never, never. And so guess what? When you gave your heart to Jesus, Jesus became Lord. Verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined or united to the Lord is one spirit with him. So when you look at the word joined or united there, when you get born again, the Bible's very clear that it's like a marriage. We are the bride of Christ. And so he's telling us again, if you are the bride of Christ, you got to quit hopping in the sack with everybody else. Now I know it didn't say that word for word, but you get the thought. So I begin to think about this. In my own relationship in marriage, what type of marriage do you think I would have if I said, you know what, Shelly, I'm married to you, but I'm going to hop in the sack with anybody who will have me. What type of marriage do you think you would have? Not very good. So in that sense, when I make Jesus Lord of my life, I surrender control to Him. I yield to Him as Lord of my life. And if you'll look at Romans 10, 9, and 10, when you give your heart to Jesus, you confess Him as Lord. You didn't confess Him as Savior. It says, if you'll confess Him as Lord. So for me to, submit, uh, to confess Him as Lord, that means i got to follow Him. i got to obey Him. Keep reading with me. Verse 18. Flee. Run from sexual immorality. Why? Every sin that a man does outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. Now what begins to happen, and I don't care what your name is, I don't care who your mom or who your daddy is, when you begin to break this commandment right here, something begins to happen to you that not only affects your body, it begins to affect your soul, your mind, and your emotions. It'll goof your thinking up. This is what the Apostle Paul was telling us. And listen, I don't care how young you are or how old you are. You're not exempt from that. Thank you for the two agreements. So again, the Apostle Paul is giving us great, great warnings right here. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now we can just breeze through that and say, yeah, my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. But when you look at the temple in the Old Testament, that's where the presence of the Lord was. Actually, it calls it the Holy Sanctum or the inner part. Another Old Testament word would be the Shekinah glory, where the glory of God was at. And he says right here, your body and my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, he didn't just say of the Spirit. He said of the Holy 
spirit. Now watch what he goes on to say here. Who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Wow. So when you see that you're not your own right there, he gives us the reasons why. My body wasn't created. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. And he goes on to say in verse 20, For you were bought at a price. What was the price? The Lord Jesus. And he goes on to say, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So again, I'm not free to do whatever I want. I've got to surrender to God. And so oftentimes, when we get born again and we give our heart to Jesus, we don't want to surrender control to Jesus. We still want to be in charge. So here's how that looks with us. We say, you know what? I want Jesus, but I want Jesus on my terms. I want to call the shots. I want to decide what I do or what what I don't do. And so literally, you have not yielded control or you have not surrendered to the Lord. Because if I have, if he's Lord of my life, then he who loves me, i got to obey. So now I'm going to help you a little bit here. Are you better at receiving or are you better at giving? You can answer that. You don't have to say it out loud. You can decide, am I better at receiving or am I better at giving? Well, if you're better at receiving, you know why? It's because any time you receive, you yield your will. You said, okay. So we receive Jesus. We receive the Holy Spirit. Here's how that would look in the natural. If Philip invites me to lunch today and we go and eat, and he says, Pastor, let me buy, let me buy. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want you to buy. And he says, I want to buy, I want to buy, I want to buy, I want to buy. The only way I receive that is I surrender my will and I say, okay, I'll receive it. But if you're better at giving, you know why you're better at giving? Because when you give... You're in control. You determine how you give, where you're going to give, when you're going to give, and to whom you're going to give. And so in this area with the things of God, I've got to become a person that receives. That means I'm going to have to surrender my will to His will. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul here is going to address seven areas that pertain to our speech and our conduct. Now, in every one of those areas that he lists, he gives us a solution or a cure to what we're supposed to do. Now, in my Bible, above verse 25 is the subtitle that says, Do not grieve the Spirit. I don't know if that's in your Bible, but when I read that, this tells me that I can grieve the Holy Spirit or He wouldn't warn me about it. So we begin in verse 25, and we look at the first symptom we have. Therefore, put away lying. Put away lying. I don't need a show of hands. How many have ever had problems with lying? How many have ever said this out of your mouth? If that boy's mouth's open, that's a lie. 
We've always said that about it. I hope that's not about us. But he gives us a first symptom here. Put away lying. What is the cure? Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And so we see the issue is lying, but the cure was to speak the truth. Now we get back to the old, age-old dilemma. I want to do right, but I can't do what's right. How many of you have ever been there? Every one of us. The Apostle Paul, he faced the same symptoms. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. So when we begin to look at this, I believe through the scriptures here, you're going to see how the Holy Spirit begins to come on the inside of you. And he empowers you. He helps you to obey. The next one, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. So when you look at this, he says, don't sin by letting anger dominate you. That's the problem. Look at the cure. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So you know what he's saying? Get rid of that anger before the night comes. Don't go to bed with that stuff on the inside of you. Now watch his next comment here in verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. Now he tucks this verse right here in the middle of this passage. And so when you begin to look at this, I believe he was telling us here, these actions, these patterns, our conduct, open the door for the opportunity or a foothold for the devil to come into my life. He said, don't give place to the devil. And so was the apostle Paul telling us here, that anytime I become a big fat liar, anytime I become a, a thief, anytime I become angry, am I giving place to the devil? Well, watch what he says, and I believe it proves it out. He goes on to say in verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer. If you're a thief, quit being a thief. How do I do? But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. So you know what he said? Instead of being a thief, go get a job. Use your talents and abilities God blessed you with. And not only do you get the benefits of making a paycheck, you get the ability to sow seed so God will bless it. Wow. Keep reading. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. The solution, but what is good for necessary for edification, building up that it may impart grace to the hearers. See again, problem, solution. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now hold on to that thought because I'm, I'm going to keep reading all the other things he deals with. Then we're going to come back to verse 30, but look what he says. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which is loud quarreling, and evil speaking be put away with you from all malice, ill will, or evil behavior. Let me ask you something. Is there anything up to this point that may have described you? You may say, Pastor, there's a bunch of them in there that describe me. But it's interesting. He gives a solution to every one of them. Look what his solution to verse 31 is. is verse 32. And be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. So now we go back and we look at every bit of that and we can have the thought, I, 
I don't want to operate in anger. I don't want to do those things. And so if we could fix ourselves, don't you think we would have already done it? So I believe right here this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. So we jump back to verse 30 and we look at this. And he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't offend him. Don't sadden him. Don't injure him or distress upon him. So how would we grieve the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God is called the Helper and the Empowerer. So his job is he comes and he convicts us, he warns us, he tries to help us on the inside. But anytime he comes to help us and warn us like I'm talking about, and we override him, we turn him away, we stiff arm him, you know what we're saying? I don't need your help. I don't want your help. And so to a degree, this is where it comes in and it grieves him. Now, anytime you see the word grieve, if, if I was to say Aaron right here is grieving right now, the first thing would come to my mind is people grieve because of death. So it says we've grieved the Holy Spirit. When you look at death, what happens when someone dies? You, you, you lose the intimate fellowship with them. When someone dies, I can no longer go to them and have intimate fellowship. I can't have eye-to-eye dialect. Can't happen. We wound the relationship. It's over. The fellowship is over. So when we grieve the Holy Spirit... We lose the intimate fellowship with Him. How many have ever seen a relationship, whether it's between a husband and wife, whether between a mom or dad, a son or daughter? How many have you ever seen where the fellowship was broken? Where a a mom and a daughter could be in the same room And they wouldn't even notice each other. They wouldn't even acknowledge each other. They wouldn't even pay attention. See, I witnessed that about a week ago. I saw a father and a son like that, and it broke a heart. But even in that same sense, when we have the Holy Spirit come upon us, and He tries to help us, and we stiff arm Him. We we say, I don't want your help. I don't need your help. It grieves Him, and guess what happens? It breaks that intimate freedom or fellowship we have with Him. Now turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter number 24. Luke, chapter 24. You know, in my own life, I've seen the power of the Holy Spirit go to work within me. And I remember at a young, young age, I'd given my heart to Jesus and got born again. And they began to show me scripture about the Holy Spirit. And they said, you really need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I began to see biblically that that's what the Bible said to do. So 
I didn't fully understand everything about the Holy Spirit, and I still don't to this day. But the more I get into the Word of God, the more I know about Him. And so I got filled with the Holy Spirit at a young age. You talking about a great source of life? How many of you have ever been overwhelmed in school? I've been overwhelmed. I'd ask the Holy Spirit to help me. I said, Holy Spirit, you've got to help me. I don't understand. I don't understand college algebra. I barely get arithmetic and subtraction. And I would begin to welcome him and he would help me. How many of you have ever been overwhelmed as a parent? Oh God, I don't know what to do about Junior. He's about to drive me crazy. What about in your marriage? How many of you have ever felt in your marriage, man, I, I don't know what to do? Every one of us at times. But isn't it interesting that the Lord Jesus defined him as the helper? He said, he'll help you. So if Jesus said you need the helper, we probably need help. And so one of your greatest prayers and one of my greatest prayers every morning is when I awake, I awake and say, Holy Spirit, I need you today. I welcome you today. And there's days I know what my day is going to look like, and I invite him in. I invite him into my study. I encourage you the next time you read the Bible, say, Holy Spirit, come and read the Bible with me. Bring revelation knowledge. And I'm just telling you, when you do that, get ready. The Bible will come alive to you. You may have a busy day tomorrow at your job, and you may be dreading around. I say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. I need your help. I don't know what to do, but you know what to do. See, again, I think this is what's happened in our lives. We've tried to do everything out of our intellects. We've tried to do everything out of our own abilities. That's why the prophet Zechariah said, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Holy Spirit. There's a few of you are excited. Luke 24, verse 46. Then Jesus said to them, his disciples, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So if you'll note there, the first thing Jesus tells them, he says, boys, this is what you got to do. This is it. This is the ticket. You've got you've to preach repentance and the remission of sins. You know what that is? That's salvation. If you need to give your heart today to Jesus, that's what's going to take place. You're going to repent and you're going to ask Jesus to come into your heart. So the number one thing he said immediately, you got to evangelize. You got to get them born again. But he didn't stop there. And you are witnesses of these things. And so guess what Jesus does? He commissions them just as he commissions me and you. And he says, you're my witnesses. You're my hands. You're my feet. You're my eyes. You're my tongue. You're the representatives now here on earth. And he goes on to say, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Now, if you want to look at the promise of the Father, you can find it in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. It was the Holy Spirit, where specifically it said, 
John baptizes you with water, but the day's coming when Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be a witness. So again, when you see everything he writes right here, I'm going to tell you right now, the ticket is we got to have the Holy Spirit. Now look how he ends this verse. But you tarry, you wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Not an earthly power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the message says that you are equipped from on high. The New International, the New American Standard, the Amplified, everyone says, until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus' words to these disciples, he said, boys, you're never going to fulfill what you need to in life without the Holy Spirit. Never. So here's the great question. Why did we need the Holy Spirit? Why did Jesus say, be endued with power from on high? Okay, remember when Jesus was here on the earth, he was here in flesh and blood, just like me and you. Jesus could only be one place at one time. So for three and, three and a half years, he had those 12 disciples. He discipled them. He poured into their life over and over. He taught them everything that he knew. But you know what Jesus knew? And this is why he said, it's better for me to leave. And the reason he said that is, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So instead of me just being able to be around you 12 at one time, I'm going to send the Spirit of God. I'm going to put God himself on the inside of you. And now he can influence every believer on this earth everywhere. So now you see why he said that. So think of it in this sense. Those disciples were shaped by Jesus. I mean, these were fishermen, tax collectors. In the world's eyes, they were a bunch of losers. But they get around Jesus. And you know why I believe Jesus took those guys? Because he knew they couldn't do it out of their own abilities. So he said, you know what? I'm going to teach them what all to do, and they do it in my name. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to get out of here, and that's what he did. And he said, but I'm going to put my spirit within you. And so let me ask you something right now. If I told you this morning that if you asked Jesus for the Holy Spirit, he would give him to you, would you ask him? Luke 11, verse 13. Now listen to this. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Wow, can't be any clearer than that, can it? This was Jesus' words. Now, I want you to highlight this. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So you know what He's saying? you got to ask. And then you receive. 
And how do I receive? I receive by faith. Let me ask you something. When you gave your heart to Jesus, did Jesus show up and say, Hey, I'm Jesus Christ. Good to have you to the family. I hadn't seen Jesus yet. I'm not against it. But I received Jesus by faith. I've never seen Jesus. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. He begins to come on the inside of me. And before I get to the place of telling a lie, that lie's right on my tongue and I'm getting ready to tell a lie and the Holy Spirit comes in and He convicts me. And it's like He gives me a warning. And when that begins to happen, you know what He's doing? He's saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And I can heed it and listen to Him or I can override it and say, hang up the phone, I'm not listening to you. And so again today, there's, there's many in this room We've, we, we've tried to do life without the Holy Spirit. Here's your little analogy on that. That's be, that. That would be like driving a car, your engine in your car, and having no oil. What would happen? Not good. See, that's the way the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit to me and you is like oil to the engine of a car. And I believe today there's some of you in here, God doesn't want to just put oil in you. He wants to put synthetic oil in you. He, makes you. he wants to help you for the long run. And there may be some of you in here today, you're empty. You're like Ezekiel talked about in Ezekiel 38. I'm dry. I'm dead. I need these bones to come alive. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? So you know, the Apostle Paul said in Acts 19, He said, I'll lay hands on you and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Something happens through the laying hands of people. I'm just throwing out verses to you. So I remember at 20 years old, I'm going to this Bible class every day from 2 to 4. I worked at night. And so my brother had been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, you need to come with me every day. Every day. So I'm sitting back there and I'm listening to this man talk about the Holy Spirit. And the guy spoke and he said this. He said, listen, I'm going to be here all week. This guy had a sixth grade education. Just brilliant with the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm going to be here all week. And he said, if you're ready to receive the Holy Spirit today, you can receive him. He said, if not, you just keep coming day after day. And watch what the scriptures say. So I'm sitting in the back. And I listen and nothing happens on Monday. I go through the whole week. Friday comes and he says, I'm telling you right now, some of you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was the next contestant on the Price is Right. I moved. I mean, when he said, come on down here. I, I mean, I was the first one down there. I came marching down there. And again, I, I had a week of knowledge. And I had a problem with drinking at that time. And when I would see God move in ways, I, in this week, in this time span... I saw a boy who had never heard here. I, I see a lady who had never walked, walk, and it freaks me out. I'm like, how is this happening? And my brother said, we're praying for her in the name of Jesus. Now, this is the truth. Every day that would happen on the way home, I'd say, pull over at that 7-Eleven. And he'd say, what for? And I said, just pull over. And I'd go in there and I'd get those little bottles of, of whiskey. You know why? Anytime life got hard and difficult, I always ran to alcohol. 
That's what would numb me. And my brother would look at me and say, you don't have to do that anymore. And so that day I got filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to set you free. The Holy Spirit's going to start working in you. And whoop, here he is. God began to work in me. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit who's a whole. He said, I'll fill with the Holy Spirit and fire. He began to burn up junk within me. And my prayer when I get up in the morning is, good morning, Holy Spirit. I welcome you. I welcome you. And I will apologize today for not speaking on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the, the third head of the Trinity, like I should have, because to a degree, we get some of you saved and everything. And then it's like, you figured out. And we got to get you filled with the Holy Spirit. Stand up. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.